0: I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I was
1: born in Syria. I was
0: born in Hamburg, Germany. I
1: was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was
0: born in Singapore, Guatemala.
1: I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand, refugee I was born in Mumbai.
2: I was born in Vianchan, Laos. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica.
0: Welcome to Many Roads to Hear bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. In the last year, we've seen shocking instances of anti-Asian hate in the U.S. The sudden uptick often gets explained as a result of pandemic prejudices, but given the long history of racism against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, it's clear that these acts of violence are nothing new. Portland artist Roberta Wong is the daughter and granddaughter of Chinese immigrants. And as she grew up, she experienced racism firsthand, as well as the decline of Chinatown and the cultural history that is maintained there. Through art and volunteerism, Roberta now seeks to combat the stereotypes and erasure that continue to harm the Asian American
1: community. Stephanie Valence has her story. Roberta Wong was raised to be quiet, respectful, and obedient. She spent much of her childhood doing chores in her family's Chinatown restaurant, getting lost in thoughtful contemplation for hours. All those years of introspection led to a meaningful career in conceptual art. Her artwork, however, is anything but quiet. The first piece that I created
2: was a piece called All Orientals Look Alike. And when you hear that that phrase, you think, you kind of laugh at it as if it's a joke, you know, of course that's not true. I actually added four individual faces, portraits, of different ethnic Asians. The central portrait was a composite of those four individual portraits to represent the myth of who we look like. So those features are interwoven into each other, and I wanted to show in the funerary setting just uh, mourning the loss of identity that's imposed by stereotypes, but I also wanted to show the power of individuals to, to shatter that image and to hopefully impact not only the viewer, but also give individuals a sense of empowerment that they can change things, they can make a difference.
1: working in her family's businesses as a child meant retaining a connection to Chinese culture but it also allowed roberta space and time to think eventually those experiences influenced her artwork
2: in my dishwashing days it was almost ideal because it would allow me to daydream during uh my time at the at the sink <laughs> you know it it doesn't seem like an advantageous position to be in but I see the connection in terms of how I produce my work as an artist. That I spend a lot of cerebral time thinking about things in in circumstances and and visualizing how I might interpret some experiences. I came to find that that process was suited to me. I'm always trying to resolve an aspect of something in my head. My work includes visual elements that I've grown up with. And so growing up in a kitchen, one of my pieces called All American was basically reflecting back on on the Chinese American experience and the process of immigration and, and how all Americans have gone through a process of losing something and it can be as abrupt as the chopping off of a cue but often it's a prolonged process of aching, of longing and of being able to mourn in some way uh, something you can't get back and so for that piece I, I created work that Includes a kitchen stainless steel table with a round chopping block, and the braid of my hair against an embedded cleaver, and the intent again is to kind of shock people into reality of of that pain and that irretractable loss. It's just something you can't you can't go back to. So. For that reason, the value of moving forward and even against the resistance of the community that you're trying to, to establish yourself in, uh, that there's no way back. You, you have to move forward. And just like salmon against the current of the streams, you have to move forward, you know, to survive. And you struggle.
1: Roberta's family was intimately familiar with the struggle of the immigrant experience. Both her father and grandfather immigrated to the United States in the early 20th century, a time when Chinese were explicitly unwelcome. Roberta's grandmother stayed in China. The men opened a business in Portland to serve the unique needs of a community that was far from home.
2: His business was a grocery store. It was called Tuck Lung Company, and it was primarily dried goods and produce, meats, products, And there was already here a Chinese population. Uh, Some were already
1: second-generation families that were living here when he arrived. The Chinese Exclusion Act, passed in 1882, meant that the population of Chinese in Oregon was relatively small at the turn of the century. Even though merchants and other professionals were exempt from exclusion, the population of Chinese declined in the early part of the 20th century. Oregon's Chinese population had peaked at about 10,000 in 1900, but dropped drastically after the Exclusion Act. In 1920, only 3,090 Chinese immigrants remained in Oregon. Those who did take up residence in Portland lived closely together, both because of restrictive property laws and in order to maintain the ties of community. Chinatown was basically developed... Out of the mutuality
2: of interest and culture that draws people together, so the food, the language, the community contacts that you have, and and that was the primary reason why Chinatowns exist. I think it was an area unimproved, so it was an area that was um, that followed the water line of the river, and was constantly flooded, and thereby not a a prime real estate. And so that's where the early Chinese immigrants lived. It was probably low-cost housing at the time.
1: Roberta's father, uncle, and grandfather lived in a hotel in Portland's Chinatown. Eventually, World War II changed things. Many Chinese-born immigrants, including Roberta's father served in the war. President Roosevelt officially repealed the Chinese Exclusion Act, and when the war ended, Chinese veterans were allowed to send for their wives. Many moved beyond the strict borders of Chinatown.
2: My mother came over in 1947, and this was because my father served in the Army during World War II. And he served uh, without citizenship because, again, as many of them did... When my mother arrived, they actually purchased their house. So by 1948, they were settled in Southeast Portland, and it was a neighborhood that was, I guess, I don't know if they want to call it redlined. It was a it was a district area approved for African Americans as well as Asians. And uh, I know we had Japanese American neighbors, and we had other wives who were. Married to servicemen, so Italian families, uh, Austrian families. And so it was a very intermixed neighborhood.
1: Roberta was born in 1953. And though her family had moved out of Chinatown, their business remained rooted there. Roberta and her many brothers and sisters worked first in her grandfather's grocery store in Chinatown. When her grandfather died, the business went to her father. Her father suffered a back injury eventually, and the grocery store business became too labor-intensive. He and Roberta's oldest brother purchased a cafe. Though no longer selling groceries, her family continued to serve the needs of the Chinese community.
2: We were a coffee shop that served breakfast and lunch, and it was a business agreement that my brother and father had with his his client base, which was the groceries and uh, restaurants in the neighborhood and families that were part of the neighborhood, so he intentionally chose not to open for dinner as, so he wouldn't compete with their client base. And it worked out to be a good relationship, and the coffee shop became kind of a hub for the community. That's where they'd go and take their breaks and or come before they go to work, and it was quite a, a memorable childhood that I had growing up there. So in, we as children would take the bus every day after school and join them, and uh, we'd have our chores to do and, as well as our homework, and we'd ha- have dinner with all the co-workers and
1: family style. The restaurant welcomed a diverse clientele no longer serving the Chinese community exclusively. The hard and fast lines between Chinatown and the larger white community of Portland began to soften. The restaurant gave many white Americans a glimpse of Chinese culture.
2: We were known at the time we had dim sum for the first, I think uh, we had the first offerings of dim sum. I think it was the openness in, in our clientele that was open to receiving us as a family as well as open to trying new foods. And I think food is, again, the the equalizer that brings people together. But Portland has had a history of early patronage to Chinese restaurants and foods. Portland having a community of farmers that were in the West Hills allowed for produce to be a part of the daily market, which was not typical, perhaps, of the Western offerings that was here previously, but the, the offering of fresh produce was kind of a, a novelty, I guess, for a lot of Westerners. And so the fact that um, the Chinese uh, restaurants were preparing them and uh, impressing, I guess, upon the Westerners, you know, how good <laughs> vegetables can be.
1: Roberta also crossed in and out of Chinatown, living in two worlds. Roberta's own identity as Chinese-American was influenced by a childhood spent immersed both in Chinatown and in mainstream public schools.
2: Being Chinese-American wasn't dominant in my thinking. I was Chinese, and I was living in America, but I didn't really have a sense of political identity at that point. Um, Again, most of our associations were with other Chinese families, your first identity is as a member of the family, and being Chinese again that was I was the obedient daughter, and so there wasn't much conflict in in that other than you know uh in grade school, you know feeling mourn mournful that you can't go to the sleepover you know or the slumber parties and and uh always having to make excuses that you can't attend because, you know, we have to go to work. My first overt experience with racism was in fifth grade. It was uh, a focus on history and geography. We were doing a map game and the teacher would say the name of a city and we were to locate the country where the city is located. So Unfortunately, the person I was playing with was a poor loser, and so as a consequence, he he shouted out, chink, you know, as a derogatory intent to to demean me for, for showing him up. And the teacher was so aghast that he just took the boy out by his ears into the hall, down to the principal's office, and... The classroom was silent at that point, and uh, I just patiently waited at the blackboard, you know, for the teacher to come back. So as a child, though, you know, standing at that blackboard, I basically acknowledged to myself that I wasn't responsible for this person's ignorance, you know. It's not my fault that this guy is not cool or, you know, in understanding, you know. And thinking that he could say something to me to make me feel bad is is unfortunate. His shortcoming, not mine. And so I've never taken insults as a reflection on me. It's more of a reflection on them. And I s- maintain that perspective today.
1: As a child, Roberta did not take much interest in art. She was reserved, not speaking until she felt she had something to say. But over the years, her passion for art took shape as she found she could make powerful statements using imagery.
2: I just really never pursued it academically until my last uh, years in high school where you have extracurricular opportunities to take something of interest to you. And so I took a ceramics class thinking I was going to make pots, but I ended up making busts instead. And one of the first figures I made was a bust of African-American uh, with an uplifted head and a large Afro and shining black skin. and And it was a figure of empowerment that I really felt strongly about. And I gifted it to one of the African-American students that was bused to our school who I had befriended. And again, this was late 60s and, and our school was one of the first to be experiencing school busing. Perhaps as a product of, of my times that I did have a sense of, of acknowledging And admiring the strength that I saw in a community and a people that were fighting for their rights. And I just, as a Chinese American who's always been told to be quiet in in many respects, you know, and not be disruptive, that I admire the resistance that was, you know, evident in the the 70s and the coming of awareness of the struggles of different communities the labor movements of the filipino that joined in with the migrant workers of the hispanics and and the farm labor movements and uh, the hotel workers the filipino hotel workers of san francisco area And again, what the Black Panthers were doing was providing their community with the needs that were being unmet by the majority American community, Americans that did not include serving those who were not white. And so that inequity and just the hypocrisy is what I recognized as a child. And I felt, again, a sense of alignment with these people, the movement of people of color.
1: Even though she was beginning to experiment with her own artwork as a high school student, Roberta really wasn't aware of art being a means of resistance on a grander scale. She pursued art in college and worked at her family's restaurant while she attended Portland State University. But it wasn't until she found conceptual art that she felt connected to the potential in art to address issues of social justice. I respond to the work of Chris Burden, who was creating
2: work that tried to address complacency in society. And he did it by putting himself in situations that would prompt action I personally believe that change can only happen internally, that you have to really have a change of heart to make change in your actions. And so I wanted to present work with the same idea to work against complacency and and work towards consciousness and present information to people that would only be framed by the title And I didn't want to interject my personal bias to the piece. And in many ways, uh, I've described it as creating a threshold for people to stand at, to, to look through, and to consider walking through to have that experience.
1: Roberta felt particularly compelled to use her art to challenge the harmful stereotypes that often manifested in violence. She especially wanted to highlight the reality of life for Asian Americans and challenge societal complacency after the brutal attack on Vincent Chin, a Chinese-American man murdered near Detroit in 1982.
2: It was a consequence of the buildup of the Japanese presence in the auto industry and the loss of jobs and of American autos. Factories. And on the night that Vincent Chin went out to celebrate his bachelor party with a wedding planned in a week or so, uh, he was confronted by two auto workers, a father and his son in law, and they basically accused him. A Chinese American of being responsible for them taking their jobs. Um, so it didn't matter that they weren't Chinese, the fact that they were Asian and Asian faced and irrecognizable or indistinguishable to them because of their ignorance, you know, they basically broke out into a fight. And they thought it ended there, but the two auto workers got in their truck and started trying to hunt them down. I think uh Vincent was by himself, but he was confronted by Ebers, one of the men, and basically beaten with a baseball bat, and he died subsequently of those injuries and in instead of getting married on his wedding day he was buried and the what brought my attention was after the fact but but it was the consequence of the trial and the fact that the two men were not found guilty that they basically got away with murder and the outrage of the Chinese community basically brought the media attention to this incident, which probably would have gone unknown as just a loss, another death in a big city. But the consequence of, of violation of civil rights became the issue, and it brought media attention, and it also brought the Asian community together, and it was the first civil rights case for an Asian American, because at that time the civil rights laws only applied to African Americans, and so it was a test case uh, to to see where justice was, justice lies, and they won that civil case with an awarded, you know, dollar amount and and some jail time for one of the members, but the primary person at fault has yet to pay uh, a single dime to this day. This is a piece, again, that I carried in my head for many years. I I didn't know how to respond in in many ways. I just wanted to bring those elements of the auto industry and baseball, the all-American pastime, into the reality of what American life was or the consequence of American life for Asian Americans. That it's not a game and it's not a pretty picture.
1: Racial violence has continued in the years since Chin's murder for Asian Americans as well as other groups. Wong showcased a piece in support of Black Lives Matter entitled, I Am You, in response to police brutality. Her goal was to show the common humanity in all people. The piece shows a figure holding its hands up in surrender. On the figure's palms are the words, I am you. Wong outlined the figure's internal organs to show that each of us are made of the same stuff. She is also familiar with more subtle forms of racism, erasure, othering, and the persistence of the go-home mentality. Art is not the only way she confronts this when she sees it. As an
2: adult walking down Portland Street, I was walking past the art museum and uh, wh- where there are people waiting for their buses, and as I walked by this group of people, I heard someone call out, go back where you came from. And I think, I heard that, and I kind of walked, and I then I stopped, and I turned around, and I was face to face with this man. I said, Are you talking to me? And he just kind of muttered on. And I, I asked him, well, what side of the ocean did your ancestors come from? You know, and he'd keep muttering on. And and it was again just opportunity to educate, you know, this man, regardless if he comprehended it or not, that that he's not from this place either, you know, that he came from somewhere and he should heed his warnings, you know. Uh, and so that's, that's the lesson, I think, for all Americans to consider and understand that if you're not part of the indigenous population, you don't belong either. I think that perspective is still lacking in our society, which is why we have so many issues about race and culture and, and, and the conflicts that we're still dealing with today.
1: Roberta is still focused on confronting those issues and conflicts. She stopped working in the cafe in 1985, but missed daily life in Chinatown. The restaurant eventually closed in 2001, and Roberta still mourns the loss. She is working to maintain the Chinese community's legacy in Portland, by volunteering at Portland's Chinatown Museum. The Chinatown Museum has been
2: a substantial effort by the local Chinese American community. It's the elders in our community that raised those dollars to support an effort to retain our imprint in this community. Our presence is slowly being erased the developers are, are like wolves at the door, waiting to for us to go away, and and they want to take over this area. I feel my perspective is relevant, and I that's why, as an artist, I create what I do because it's relevant, even though it may be not uh, your experience. It's part of my reality. It's it's what I've experienced. And so I'm doing what I can to make this a viable effort to, to retain our presence here in Chinatown. So um, there's a lot to retain here, a lot of information, a lot of culture, a lot of beauty, a, a lot of humanity. And it can't be
0: erased. Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story. Many thanks to the Japanese American Museum of Oregon for allowing us to record there. This episode is part of the I Am an American series, generously funded by Anne Nato-Campbell. For more episodes in the series, please visit our website. And to learn more about the Oregon Rises Above Hate Coalition, please visit OregonRisesAboveHate.com. You can listen to our podcast monthly on Portland Radio Project and stream us wherever you get your podcasts.